about the show Barry on HBO. We sound really cool doing that now, like we've got it down. <laughs> I mean, after how many episodes? Tw- Is this our 30th episode? Oh gosh, no, right? Wait, no, that can't be. I don't there's, know. Hang on, there's eight episodes per season, uh-huh. right? And we're on episode six of season three. But we also did a special episode with Alec. And you know what? I'm doing, <laughs> like doing the Winona Ryder math face right now. <laughs> yeah. I still don't know how many, but more than 20 episodes. Yes, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hi, welcome. We're here to talk about season three, episode six, seven ten. N. Seven ten N. Oh, right, because it's the seven ten North. Oh, is that yeah, what that is? Yes. I had no idea. <laughs> We're very smart. Yes. <laughs> but I just call it seven ten. Is it a highway? Yeah, it is. Oh, I thought it was like an apartment number. No. <laughs> It's a stretch of highway, apparently, between, like, Pasadena and some other place. Oh. So it's the 710 North. It's, like, between two other highways. Okay. Like, California and the 210, I think. So. Oh, where all that shit goes down. What shit? The shit that we're going to talk about later. <laughs> that goes down on 710. Now I understand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even try to understand the episode names anymore. Like, sometimes they're clear and sometimes they're just a beautiful mystery. Yes. <laughs> It's true. At least we don't have any math equations. So, (laughs) yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, This episode was written by Duffy Boudreaux and directed by Bill Hader. A little childhood friends teaming up. Yeah. I think that's so cool. It's so cool. Imagine making a TV show with your childhood best friend. I think if we did, it probably would have ended up being Buffy the Vampire Slayer or the Powerpuff Girls. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. (laughs) That's awesome. What about you? Um, something with Muppets, probably. Hmm. Yeah. Witches and Muppets, somehow, and also Gilmore Girls, whatever hmm. that would be. <laughs> Wait, all in one? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, like, not disciplined. <laughs> so, wait, witches and Muppets and Gilmore Girls. I think you're talking about the curious creations of Christine McConnell. Fuck. I am. I'm talking about the curious <laughs> creations of Christine McConnell. Everybody should go watch that. Like, I know that we're, like, primarily a Barry podcast, but we have great TV recommendations, and yeah. that's one of them. And also, we love Christine. Yes, we do. We love you, Christine. We would love to talk to you. Or, like, you could, like, make a cake that's, like, shaped like Barry, or... Oh, what would be a good Barry-themed cake? Oh, um... A heroin table. <laughs> I'm just trying to think of things that lend themselves to cake-like shapes. <laughs> good craft project, too. <laughs> Make your very own. I totally think that Hank would watch and enjoy The Curious Creations of Christine McConnell. Yeah, I, he feels like a real, like, Food Network guy to me. Yes. Yeah, like, he's sure. definitely watching some cooking shows or, like, British Bake Off. Probably that because everyone's nice. Yeah. 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 Oh, yeah. It's a retreat into, like, a beautiful little world that, like, yep. alternate universe Hank would like. He would be totally down for that. Have you ever read, maybe you shared this with me, uh, it was like an article about all of Hank's prison tattoos? Yes. Yeah, I think you shared that with yeah. me. And I did not like that article because it made me realize, oh no, Hank was like a bad dude. Like, Hank is a bad dude. I know. He I know he's bombed Fernando into oblivion. Right. Like, yeah. I know, but I want him to be good so bad. He's a good guy. 
Oh, well, we'll get into that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Okay, so to start off this episode, we see Fuchs out in the desert, and he's telling the Taylor clan, uh, specifically Taylor's sister Tracy and her, you know, gang of motocross heathens, that Barry was going to put a hot tub in, Taylor wanted to put the hot tub right there, which is a total callback to season one. (laughs) Yep. And, you know, he he's just like, oh, yeah, Taylor gave him $1,700 for it. And, well, you know, let me know when it's over. Like, clearly just firing up this Vengeance Panther army to go after <laughs> Barry. So he's, you know, trying to, like, weasel out of the situation, like, literally, like, walking back to the car. And one of the guys from the gang just pulls out a gun and shoots him and leaves him there, which... I did not remember that happening, and I was so shocked. I was like, I wonder what I was feeling the first time I watched this and was like, oh, my God, they just killed Fuchs. I was probably like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, wait a second, Justice served this quickly? Yeah. I mean, you know, like, it's not going to happen. Yeah. It it is shocking, though. And it's like, it's not even like a twist. It's like a turn, like a hard story turn. I love to do that. Right. And Fuchs, we always see him talking his way out of things. So when mm-hmm. the guy pulls out the gun, you're just like, oh, now Fuchs is going to, like, talk him out of this somehow. No, nope, yeah. he just shoots him. Yep. Yep. Meanwhile, uh, we're at the PD and Albert, who has arrived last episode, right? Last episode? Anyway, Albert's in town. Um, he is uh, investigating and basically, like, trying to <laughs> undo all the investig- uh, investigatory mistakes that the LAPD has made. He doesn't think that this fictional character, the Raven, or um, Hank is responsible for killing Fernando and all of his guys. And was like, no, like, that was a sophisticated operation. Like, it would take somebody who knew what they were doing. I think our guy is probably ex-military. And he starts to put the pieces together, and you can see him arriving at the conclusion that, oh no, it could be Barry. Mm -hmm. So he goes to the house of Chris's widow, Sharon, and sits down to talk to her and ask about what Barry's up to. And basically Sharon fills him in like, oh yeah, he's taking acting classes. It seems like he's, you know, really made like a change. And she sets up this dinner and calls Barry to attend this dinner that's for her charity organization um, that Barry is sometimes involved with. And he's like, yeah, totally. And has like a super awkward uh, interaction with her on the phone, which we can talk about later. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so despite canceling... Joplin. Banshee tells Sally that they want her to work on another project. They want to bring that Sally Reed magic to (laughs) another project. And after discussing with Lindsay, like, Sally has a very bad taste in her mouth, but she's like, fine, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Hank is sort of dealing with the aftermath of finding out that his whole heroin slash greenhouse operation was raided by the cops and the Bolivians. (laughs) And that Cristobal was lying to him and was married and had kids. And we end up seeing him at Beignets by Mitch. And he's, you know, ranting to Mitch about all of his problems. And Mitch is like, you know, I, got, I get really good vibes from you, even though we just met. Like, do you want to go into business together? <laughs> and Hank's just like, uh, uh-huh. Um, I'll get back to you. <laughs> Which is really funny. <laughs> so... That kind of spurs Hank on, though, and he decides that he is going to go to Bolivia and try to rescue Cristobal. 
Oh boy. Um, <laughs> this episode's kind of crazy. On the uh, like C story front, I guess. Yeah. Um, we've or got. D? I'm not even sure. Yeah, there's yeah. so many threads happening here. Tom, who is uh, Jean's agent, like springs on him this uh, incredible op- opportunity that comes up, where uh, a producer wants to have Gusno lead his own masterclass in acting. And Jean has been feeling guilty about where he left Annie in her career and is like, I'll do it on the condition that she is the director. She, she works on the project. So initially, like, he, he raids her art class and she refuses and she's like, there's no way I'm working with you. And then he surprises her by letting her take all of the proceeds, mm-hmm. which gets her on board. Meanwhile, um, you've got Fuchs. He's alive. He's been discovered by this um, yeah. random man who takes him to his home, gets him safe, keeps him comfortable. He gets to know this this uh, guy's beautiful daughter, and um, <laughs> he's basically landed in the tall grass again, like he always does. This has got to be some kind of trope with all of these attractive women being like, I love you, Fuchs. Like, what? It's nuts. (laughs) It's wild. And so you think, oh, okay, like maybe, and we'll talk about this for sure. You think maybe he's going to just stick it out there Mm -hmm. and like have a new life. He has got this new opportunity handed to him. And instead he uh, steals the guy's truck and takes it back to LA so that he can keep doing his Fuchs thing, I guess. Mm -hmm. So Sally goes to meet with Morgan Don Cherry at Mm -hmm. Banshee. And she offers Sally a spot in the writer's room on the new Medusas, <laughs> which we've talked about, uh, which is the show that replaced Joplin on the Banshee homepage. And she feels like Sally could bring a little, yeah, to the show. <laughs> <laughs> Sally is like, this is beneath me, but Lindsay basically convinces her to accept the job because it will keep her in good standing with Banshee and yeah. she'll earn some money while she like waits out her next project. Back at the house of the Spanish speaking family that found Fuchs and nursed him back to health, he is talking with the patriarch of the family who says that, you know, I think my daughter loves you. You know, who's saying like, my daughter Nita, I think she really likes you. She might want to be girlfriend, boyfriend. That's the first line. <laughs> And, you know, basically tells him, like, he thinks he's a good man and he has to abide by the signs that God gives him. Mm. Fuchs mulling on that and he's sitting in the truck and he glances down and sees a newspaper with the headline, Former Toxic Manchild Saves Vet's Life Through Acting, <laughs> with photos of Gene and Barry. And he's just mm. like, I gotta abide. So he <laughs> peels off in the truck heading back to L.A., and calls Jim Moss on the phone and is like, you know what? Yeah, I do want to meet you and talk about your daughter's murder. <laughs> what a mess. Okay, so Taylor's sister, Tracy, her gang breaks into Barry's place and figures out where he is. And they're like, okay, he's heading this way. They go on their motocross bikes to basically chase him down. He's on his way to Sharon's and he's <laughs> picked up Banyets by Mitch. So Barry, (laughs) in a a really funny scene, they, you know, clock him and realize, okay, that's the guy we're looking for. And then it starts this chase scene down the 710 North. There we go. And it's this, like, bonkers action scene, which we'll dissect later. And eventually Barry's able to get off the freeway and the bikers are just, like, smashing him to shit. But he runs out of gas um, just as Tracy's crew starts to roll up and he hides at a car dealership. And then eventually gets away and the rest of the gang is killed, I guess. 
Um, there was just like a lot going on. Yeah. <laughs> and Barry, like the cockroach that he is, gets out of the situation again and takes the beignets <laughs> to yeah. Sharon's. So he gets to Sharon's house. He sits and has a beignet. And there's nobody else at this supposed dinner. It's just him. Which he doesn't even seem to notice. No, he doesn't. He doesn't yeah. mention it at all. He just sits there and spots Fuchs's uh, Kenneth Goulet card on the table. And then looks at Sharon, who's watching him, waiting for something. And then he realizes that, that she has poisoned his beignet. Okay, first off, I just want to note that Vanessa Bear is in this episode. Yes. And I'm a huge fan of her. <laughs> She's so, so funny. I love her so much. And this was, like, the perfect little, like, you know, not quite cameo, but, like, that yeah. kind of role for her. Like, yep. only she can do that. <laughs> I know. I love her so much on What We Do in the Shadows. Oh and then, what was it? That show? Uh, I, love I love that, that for you. you. Yeah. yeah. That was really good, too. I hope they do another season of that. I hope so, as well. I really enjoyed that. That yeah. was another one where you're just, like get out of your own way person yeah but, i mean it is hilarious like how spectacularly her life falls apart she's so delightful um, i was so excited to see her in this i really she's also a real housewives fan so she's been oh, on shit. like bitch sesh talking about real housewives and she's great at doing impressions <laughs> i yeah i just i feel like i would definitely be friends with her irl <laughs> she seems like it's just so funny and cool but she's like there's this particular thing that she's so great at and they make great use of it in this <laughs> she's just so cringy yeah like she's just human cringe like oh <laughs> uh, and i love that like the little language that she's developed like jesse hodges Lindsay is like like oh yeah i totally get it and i love email, how she you said this jumps <laughs> into that where she's yeah. just like you know sally's just like what the fuck is happening but Lindsay's <laughs> just like oh yeah i have a client who's bringing a little yeah to a show right now like she's just she just gets into it because she knows that, like that's what this person wants to hear exactly yeah it's so funny <laughs> Uh, and I love scene. that stunned look. And at this point, like, Sally's already disillusioned, but she's just, like, you know, like a dog watching a tennis match. Just yeah. like, what in the hell are you two doing? Yeah. <laughs> she needs a translator. So it's great to see Vanessa Bear on the show. And also, this episode, we see an actor named Tom Allen as yes. Mitch. I looked him up. He was a little hard to find because it turns out there's a lot of Tom Allens. <laughs> yeah, um, the first one was like a British guy. And I was like, wow, if this guy is British. And then, no, it's not him at all. <laughs> but he appears to be an actor who's local to L.A. and tends to do these sort of like bro surfer kind of yeah. uh, roles, even though he says that he does not smoke weed at all. So I have a hard time believing that, first of all. <laughs> and, and second of all, he is like the most self-aware surfer bro. Like the fact that he can embody this character so well, but then is also aware of. So I, I accidentally stumbled across a video that I think you just have to search for like Chad and JT. Okay. Have you seen it? Or Chad no. and TJ? Well, one or the other. It's a character that he does, Chad Kroger, who is the son of Chad Kroger from Nickelback. Oh my God. <laughs> but he's like this bro. Anyway, they do satire. They go to, like, actual town council meetings, and he and his buddy in character will comment during the public comment session on, like, AI and, like, random stuff. And it is so fucking funny and really, really smart as well. In fact, I sent one to one of my professors the other day because um, we have, like, an ongoing class discussion about uh, chat gpt and generative ai Mm. and the ethics of it and how it fits into the world of creativity and, like... It's also, like, obviously a hot-button issue right now with the writer's strike. Yeah. Um, I have opinions on it, which is it's way scarier than 
Um, can I soapbox for a second and then we'll come back sure. to Chad? Okay. Yeah. So if you search, I'm a comedy writer, just search for Simon Rich AI article. <laughs> and um, one of the writers who's a mentor in this program that we did wrote a book, well, edited a book of poetry done by a specially trained AI that like creative rights, like that's what it's been okay. trained to do. The jokes, the fact that an AI can do satire is terrifying to me. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's just a language model and it's just like learning and repeating patterns and stuff like that. I totally get it. But that's that's right now. That's before it's been like refined and specially trained and developed and continues to do that kind of stuff. And some of the headlines that it wrote were really, really funny and like, I mean, chilling. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, anyway, long story short. The AI that people will say, like, oh, well, it writes like garbage, like, you know, it's never going to... No, do not let that be the argument that that makes you, you know... Complacent. Complacent, yeah, exactly. Because that is not the case. You don't have access to the specially trained AI models that these studios are going to eventually one day pay for that have been trained on everything that you learn in an MFA program and every mm -hmm. book on writing... And every script, you I was know gonna what I say mean? it's gonna be trained on every spec script, yes, and existing script that they own. Yep. they're gonna feed into it and then just churn out formulaic shows. And that's exactly what Hollywood, you know, execs want is they want like repeatable success. Yep. And what better way to do it than reinventing, not reinventing the wheel, literally not reinventing it, like just doing mass production of the wheel, yeah, with, making like, another different wheel, veneers and flavors, and painting stuff. it yellow, being like it's a new wheel. Yeah, check out this amazing wheel that we invented. Yeah. Like, don't become complacent because you think that AI writes like shit. The AI you have access to, poor person, <laughs> <laughs> writes like shit. Um, the AIs they will have access to will not write like shit. So don't Good let point. that be the anyway. So you should also check out Chad and JT <laughs> or TJ. I can't remember who the other guy is, but um, they do this great comment on. <laughs> in this like public like i don't know what session is like town council session or something like that about how the government should pay everybody 10 g's so that we can let <laughs> we can let the ai do our jobs and we can just party and like be at the beach and uh basically the premise is he's like ai is coming for all of our jobs and i for one am psyched because <laughs> he doesn't want to work as someone who takes part <laughs> in local town meetings of import i would <laughs> probably kneecap those dudes if they showed up to waste everyone's time <laughs> well the best part to me is like yes they're in character yes they're technically wasting people's time because i don't think they're residents of like all the ones they go oh my to god but it's satire at the exact right place and time and it lands like you can see the town counselors you know cool you got your point across and you made them laugh while they were doing it it is so funny you should watch it and their takes are like you know extreme and silly but very very smart i he, he okay. must be a genius this mitch guy uh, tom tom allen guy yes <laughs> uh, so i fucking love mitch and he's like like an oracle so i was wondering i wrote down like as i was watching this i'm like is he a trope of something like what do you think like is this a recognizable sort he's sort of like a a, a beignet jesus like just sort of <laughs> Just sort of, like, dispensing wisdom to people, like, therapizing everyone who comes through for, like, beignets. Because yeah. that one scene, I think it was after Barry leaves, and that woman comes up, and she's like, I had that talk with my daughter. <laughs> you know, it's just, like, clearly he's, like, gets in deep with, like, everybody's biz. But, yeah. like, that's probably why there's a line outside, by the way, because he's spending ten minutes talking to every person. <laughs> it's an efficiency thing. <laughs> 
That's so funny. So, yeah. Maybe that's maybe that's actually the strategy is he's driving up demand. Oh. Because everyone has to wait so long and And why is he the one taking orders? I like, don't know. Shouldn't he pay someone else to do that so he can focus on the baking? Yeah, totally. I don't know. There's yeah. there's like a logical issue there, but I think you might be right. I think he might be creating like false demand. Like nightclubs right. that like don't let people in. Yeah. So that there can be a line outside so they have more people in. Everyone really on. wants the combo of like therapy and beignets. Yeah. And yeah. I don't know. I just didn't know if like this was like Duffy and Bill kind of referencing <laughs> something know. that we've seen. You know, like is this a trope of some kind? Is this like I, I don't so know. It just it was just like a, it's just so unique to, like, have this guy who's, like, barely conscious. <laughs> it kind of made me... So, like, my, my initial read on it, and, and now I'm thinking harder about, like, well, what is this a reference, like you said, specifically to something? Yeah. But, like, my initial read on it was that he's, like, literally an oracle. Like, he knows what is going to happen hmm. to all of them. And that's, like, he's, like, this font of wisdom and why people are listening to him. Because he's right about what he's, you know, warns Barry about. He, like, yeah, he is not just, like, generic advice. He's, like... Okay, but what about Hank? Because, yes, he has advice for Sally and Barry, but with Hank, I don't know what was happening there. Like, was he actually, like, trying to hit on Hank? I don't know. Or... It just felt weird. So, yes, he did have advice for Sally and Barry, but the Hank situation, he didn't really have any, like, advice for Hank. Yeah. So, I don't know. Hmm. I did enjoy watching Hank be, like, super taken off guard in that moment, though. (laughs) He was just like, okay, I'm going to go. And Mitch is like, Wednesday? He's like, uh. (laughs) That's so funny. I I think, like, the other thing that's coming to mind is less from, like, you know, TV and film and more from the cozy romance and the cozy mystery books that I read Mm. where there'll be, like, look, I love a supernatural cozy mystery. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the ones that I like the best is about a bakery in savannah that's run by witches and they put like spells into their baked goods so and they like know what everybody's up to and they recommend baked goods to people based on what they need and like they'll put a little extra magic in some and that was kind of the vibe i got from him was like what if that dude serving that purpose was also like a surfer bro (laughs) i mean so when sally and Lindsay go they're the first ones to go visit mitch and you know Lindsay is just like rabid to get those beignets <laughs> but she doesn't go inside for some reason she stays outside yeah she thought it was a little strange but anyway yeah sally comes out with the beignets and like Lindsay's just like ravenous for them and then <laughs> they're literally walking she's stuffing it into her mouth asked her if she got the dipping sauce and then like a girl in line like reaches for her box of beignets <laughs> and Lindsay just shoves her against the wall and so maybe there is something in the beignets because <laughs> people are clearly nuts about them yeah it's so funny. It kind of reminded me, too, of, like, do you remember when the cronut was, like, really big? Oh, yeah. And, and like, then, you know, once it had its moment, it, like, kind of mm-hmm. simmered down a little bit. But there was a while where, like, people were, like, lining up around the block to get cronuts in yeah. New York City. And I actually read an article on that, um, not specifically on that, but I think it was about inflated demand. And there yeah. was this idea of, like the rarer you, like, I think it was an economics piece, and the idea was, like, the rarer you make something, the more people will, like, go out of their way to try to get it. Yeah. And they specifically mentioned the Krona as, like, one of those things. And the death of the Krona was basically when you could get them at Starbucks exactly. and Dunkin' Donuts. Yep. It became mass market. I think, actually, it might have been a Planet Money episode where they discussed, like, the Birkin huh. and just sort of this idea of, like, you know, there's this, like, luxury good that you yeah. can't get or, like, you have to be on, like, a waiting list for. But really, they could make a bunch of them. 
They yeah. just don't. Right. Like, yeah. And the other thing that cracked me up about this, like, premise of, you know, Mitch's vignettes was, like, that he came from the world of churros and people doubted him. Yeah. And that, like, that, that somehow there is a pastry hierarchy between <laughs> churros, which you can get at, like, stands all across yeah. L.A. and, like, any Mexican restaurant and then the beignet. And okay. I'm like, what is that about? Question. Mm-hmm. If you had a choice, would you go for churros or beignets? I'm churros all day. Churros all I day. I think I would what be a churros. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I appreciate a beignet. Don't yes. get me wrong. Oh, yeah. But, like, also they're, like, well, I was going to say they're really messy with all the powdered sugar. But, like, churros are really messy with all the cinnamon sugar. But, like, yeah, yeah, I guess I think I'd be churros, too. I feel like you might be, like, onto something with the false demand Mm -hmm. because how many beignet places are there? Like, not that many, but you can get, you know, churros a dime a dozen. Oh, yeah. I feel like there's got to be a story behind why beignets. (laughs) And they take so much from, like, real experience. I have to wonder, like, you know, is there a dude who's an awful lot like Mitch? Oh, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever uh, watch the video clip of... Jason Siegel was on a night show, night time talk show, mm-hmm. whatever those are called, late night talk shows, uh, telling the story of how during the pandemic he used to go to this ice cream shop and <laughs> somebody would, like the girl who worked there, would write like a nice message on his bag when he would go pick up his his ice cream and he mm-hmm. thought that they had like some kind of connection. So after lockdown, he went down there and was like basically going to see if he could like make good on this connection with her. And as he was approaching, somebody walked away with a bag that had the exact same message written yeah, on I'm it. Yeah, I'm sure. And it was just their slogan. <laughs> oh, my God. That actually reminds me of, like, years of working retail and having, like, every man be like, do you want to go out? Do you have a boyfriend? I'm like, I'm nice to you for work. Yeah. Like, <laughs> literally required. This is my job. <laughs> and me being nice to you doesn't mean that I want you to try to sleep with me. <laughs> oh my gosh. And you were, were, you were at a bookstore then? Yeah. And like, so men are just projecting like their like tastes thousand, and desires on a you. A thousand percent like indie, manic, pixie, dream girl yes. fantasy shit about like the girl who works at the bookstore. Oh my God. She is secretly in love with me. Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yep. Now, was that true in my husband's case? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Aw, that's so cute. All right, let's start with Fuchs. Yes. What a squandered opportunity. So I was a little torn. Like, part of me was like, isn't this a little redundant? (laughs) But then part of me was like, oh, no, we need to. I I actually really like that they gave him another opportunity to make this choice. Yeah. You know, so he was like living the good life in the mountains of Chechnya. And he, you know, got a fucking hair up his ass and was like, nope, I'm going to go back and ruin Barry. (laughs) So he came back and then he gets shot. Like, while he's doing this, like, while he's Vengeance Panther armying and, like, riles up the Taylor clan, and they shoot him. Like, he could have been dead. Yeah. Honestly, surprising it didn't happen sooner, considering, like, all the wounds he was digging in. Yeah, for real. Also, the Chechens could have killed him, like, a while ago. Totally. So, you would think, like, that combination of, oh, my God, I could have been dead, and here I have a second chance. And he does. When Jim Moss calls him, Yeah. he's like, you know, no. I don't, I don't have anything to, you know, say about that. And, you know, basically, like, in that moment, we're, we're seeing him make a different choice. Yeah. Which does not stick. <laughs> it doesn't stick. Okay, did you notice, so, like, we just, 
just finished residency for my writing program. Yay. Shout Yay. out to my cohort. And also shout out to Brianna and her sister who I think are maybe listening to the podcast. Okay, so we watched a whole bunch of Westerns. We're doing a genre study and we started with Westerns. I didn't know anything about Westerns. But this scene, now that I've had to watch a bunch of Westerns mm-hmm. for school, was very much that, like, that redemption arc from yes. late Westerns. Yeah. Where it's like, okay, you've been a gunslinger, like, you did what you had to do to survive, but now you have an opportunity to, like, be an honest man. And that scoring in the background and, and mm-hmm. the that real masculine but emotional conversation he's having with um, uh, whatever Anita's dad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it plays out like what would be the redemption arc of a Western. I just, even the way these desert scenes were shot, the light is so beautiful. Everything was just gorgeous. And yeah, like that's kind of like slow kind of camera pan they do from like the porch scene. Like it, it does feel like these scenes were shot differently. Totally. And it almost seems dreamlike. Like the first time I watched it, I was like, is this really happening? Or is he, like, mm. having that, like, moment where, like, your consciousness leaves you mm-hmm. and, like, you're in that dreamlike state before you die? I thought maybe that was what was happening. Yeah. Because, like you said, it's shot differently. It The, the soundtrack is different. Like, and, and in that moment, you're rooting for him, even if it's for someone else's sake, everyone else's sake. You're like, just Leave everyone down. alone. Yeah. 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 So I, I agree with you. At first, I was like, this, this would never happen. You would never get this second chance tw- mm-hmm. twice, you know? And uh, he had the opportunity, and man, he blew it. Well, I mean, the guy, I I don't know that he had a name in the show, but Anita's father says to him, like, you have to abide by the signs God gives you. And, like, Fuchs is really taking that to heart, and he's like, yeah, this this has been a sign, and I am going to take it. And then as soon as the guy gets out of the truck, Fuchs just (laughs) glances down, and, I mean, well, if you just bought into the signs theory. Yep. There is your sign. Yeah. It's Gene and Barry. Gene and Barry, unattended truck. Like, yep. He's just like, I gotta, I gotta abide by the signs. And that's the thing is like, if you believe in the signs, you can find whatever fucking sign you want. Right. You know what I mean? But like, also, maybe that was a sign. What are the odds? I don't know. The, there's also something that I'm not going to talk about now, because uh, if you're tuning into this, this episode and didn't hear previous episode, Jamie Lynn has not seen season four yet. Um, yes. So we're going to be experiencing that, me rewatching it, her watching it in real time. And I'm so psyched about that. So I won't say anything to spoil this, but I'm putting a pin in this moment about the signs conversation okay. because I want to talk about it after season four is over. Okay. Also, I, I just want to throw out, we did do an episode a while back breaking down the season four trailer. Yes. Um, with our predictions about what happens in season four. Yeah. I'm actually going to re-listen to that before we get into season four That's and see idea. how right or wrong we were. That's a great idea. <laughs> I bet we're like way off base, but. <laughs> I don't even remember what we said, but I think, yeah. you, I think, I think we were off base. <laughs> okay. I won't spoil anything. <laughs> okay. So back on the investigation and we mm-hmm. talked last time about Albert having showed up and like it was a question of like, well, why now? And oh my we were like, God, is this, you know, Deus Ex Machina? Like, my mind was blown by this the first Albert scene in this episode, because yes, we yeah. talked about this, and I was like, why is he come? Is it because Barry's name has come up in this? Yeah, that the FBI is paying attention to, and Albert's like, hey, I'm here, kind of sussing it out. But it seems like in this scene. He's just now putting together that Barry could be involved in this? Right. So, 
truly you're telling me that it was entirely a coincidence that he was sent here? Yeah. That, I, that's that's what I picked up, too. And that's what, yeah. that's what I was going to ask is, like, do you is was that your read on it? Yes. He's just there coincidentally. I wrote, he appears to just now be putting together that Barry could be involved. Yeah. And I'm like, wow. Okay, so yeah, this was entirely a coincidence. Yeah. It feels a little strange. It does feel strange. Yeah. I wonder if that was their original plan. I wonder what the original plan was because it seems unlikely to me. I know. I do kind of wonder, like, so definitely of all the seasons so far, this season feels the most, a little, like the pieces aren't quite fitting together. It's It's a little disjointed. yeah. Yeah. It's like a puzzle where like the edges are kind of shitty and you're just kind of like smushing the pieces. Yep. And I do wonder, I think like it feels like a thing that was probably on the board, like Albert comes back this season. Yeah. But like the way that that's happening and the reasons for that happening just feel really strange. Yeah. Yeah. However, so after Albert's kind of putting together that, oh, this, no, like a military guy probably did this. And like, hey, Barry's a military guy. He goes to visit Chris's widow, Sharon. Yep. And ask her about Barry. And, you know, she's seen Barry. Barry does like the fun runs for Chris's memorial thing. And, you know, they're probably still friends on Facebook. I can't remember if he deleted his Facebook or not. Oh, yeah. But, you know, she tells Albert, like, Barry's taking acting classes now. And he's like, what? Barry, the human, what does he call him? The human ice machine? Yeah, ice ice machine, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and she kind of offers, like, you know, we should all get together sometime. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I would love to kind of catch up and see what he's up to. You know, and so that strategically makes a lot of sense. Like, Albert's like, okay, that would give me a chance to kind of check in with Barry in a way that, like, doesn't alert him to the fact that, we're considering him right so that that all makes sense the thing that's uh, the thing that's interesting to me structurally with this episode is that the next time we see sharon pretty soon after that scene sharon calls barry and she's like you know i'm putting together a dinner for some of the vets in my charity which is a little curious because that's not what she was talking with albert about right she was talking like hey we should all get together yeah. And then now it's turned into, like, a charity dinner thing. No mention of Albert. Yeah. So that was a little weird because you're like, well, that's not quite what they talked about. But, okay, maybe it's turned into something else. Right. Yeah. And then, you know, when he's like, okay, when? And she's like, um, would tonight be okay? And so there is, like, a weird sense of urgency that, like, wasn't there in her conversation with Albert. Yes. So that is all, like, a little bit of a, a tag. Right. So then when we get to the end of the episode, and it's very clear that there is no charity dinner for vets, and it's all been a ruse for her to get him there. The thing is, like, we have to infer that, I guess, between Albert visiting, that Fuchs visited. Yeah. But he was also in the desert. Right. Right. So I'm, I guess I'm just wondering. Why is that the one outreach that we don't see? Why? Because we see him going to all of these other people to raise this vengeance panther army well i think the reason is that the writers wanted to surprise us right at the end with it being like oh, and kenneth goulet got to her yeah but my question is if fuchs had gotten to her before albert came to talk to her mm-hmm. what about albert coming to talk to her like triggered that because right. albert was coming at it very innocuously 
I mean, to me, the only way that makes sense is if Fuchs spoke with her after Albert spoke with her. Right. But literally, that couldn't have happened. And we have no, like, as the viewer, like, I get that they that maybe it was a surprise they were going for, but they haven't done this unearned surprise thing anywhere else in the series. So it's like... Yeah, you're right. Like... Well, I guess maybe the only other surprise thing I can think of is, like, the reveal that Cristobal is married. Yeah, there really isn't any evidence of that up until... Yeah. She appears. Well, Fernando appears and, Fern- yeah, and Fernando says, says, like, hey, you need to go home to kids. your wife and kids. But still, it's not the same level of surprise. Yeah. Like, and he's like, been, haha, you poisoned bitch. Yeah, and like, he's been in L.A. for so long. Like, it's plausible that, like, you know, we don't know anything about his home life. We've just assumed that he's just, like, a, you know, a, a carefree Bolivian gangster. gangster. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So I get why they withheld the Kenneth Goulet going mm-hmm. to see her. I totally get that. The timing of everything feels really weird to me. Yes. Because you've got Albert putting together it might be Barry. Albert goes to see Sharon. Sharon calls Barry, asks him to come over that night. Yep. And then Sharon tries to poison Barry. Yep. And in this whole timeline here, assuming that the show is all working off the same timeline, Fuchs is out of pocket for that whole yeah. time. So... Fuchs must have talked to Sharon before Albert did. Yeah. But then why did she sit on that information until Albert came, had a very, like, non-triggering conversation with her, and then suddenly she decides she needs to poison Barry? I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I Okay, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one who doesn't make sense. I thought, I genuinely thought I missed something. Like, maybe I was, like, I was looking at my phone during a scene that, you know, <laughs> happened and I missed it. Yeah, this is the one that, it's weird. And honestly, that confusion kind of, to me, lent to, like, that dreamlike state of, like, Mm -hmm. that last bit. And I couldn't tell, I mean, it happens a couple times this episode where I'm like, is this really happening? Yeah, for sure. And I think that's the thing, too. Like, if you don't break it down, Mm -hmm. you aren't thinking through, like, well, wait, when would she have decided to do this? Yeah. Like, if you're just watching it, it's like, oh, oh, what a great twist. What a great reveal. Right. But when you start thinking about, like well, wait, like, how would she, when did she decide to do this? And, like, was it Albert that triggered her? Was it Fuchs that triggered her? Like, And as far as we know, like, when Fuchs leaves the outskirts, he's going to talk to Moss. Yes. Like, as far, yeah. there's no hint, even, or foreshadowing that no. he's going to be talking to Sharon. And that, him making that choice to leave happens after Sharon's already made dinner plans with Barry. Oh, shit. Yeah. So, oh, yes, Fuchs is out of pocket for this whole. So, weird timeline wise, he must have spoken with her before Albert did. Right. But it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So, ostensibly, he comes and says to her, like, Barry Berkman killed your husband. And she just is cool with that. Like, has a whole conversation with Albert about Barry being and acting and everything. And it's like, it doesn't bring it up. Yeah. And- that's yeah. so weird. I know. I, huh. It's, you wonder if it's like, in editing, did stuff get changed around or? I wonder. I have a theory. I don't want to spoil anything for the next episode, but I have a theory of something that would have made a lot more sense, mm. which is, all right, earmuffs if you haven't watched the next episode. I won't, <laughs> I won't talk too much about it, but there's a scene where Albert interrogates Fuchs mm-hmm. and Fuchs is clearly fresh off of some interest with um, with Sharon, just talking about like how the, her kid grew up and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff. 
and basically tells and I kind of wonder if things happened in a different order and then were edited back into this order and maybe there was a reshoot or something of the poisoning scene. Yeah. Because that would make a lot more sense. It would. Okay. All the pieces are there. They're just like in the wrong order. I. That's what it feels like. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. <sighs> I, I will say again, like, you know, this season we've had slightly more criticism. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say curiosities about choices. Yeah. Oh, some confusion. So, I will say, like, these things, even though we point them out, yeah. it doesn't lessen our no. enjoyment of the show. No, yeah. Um, I still, like I said, if you don't break this down and, like, really look right. at it, you're like, oh, snap, you know, what a great twist. But, like, when you really start thinking about, like, wait a second, when did she decide she was going to poison him? Yeah. When did Fuchs come talk to her, you know? And then that, you're like, wait. That is, like, a great dramatic moment, too, of, like, him realizing he's sitting at an empty dinner table he's realizing what did you put in that sauce sees fuchs's thing like cool that's a great scene yeah but with the pieces that are there like if you're examining it like we are something is amiss yeah but you know part of me wonders if because of the dreamlike state of you know what happens later in the episode maybe they were leaning into it maybe they were like we want this to feel like a dream i don't know why but no i feel like it was probably like an editing choice yeah like they just had to move some things around but yeah again it's still great and i love yeah. the twist at the end like you know we see him sitting there there's what like six place settings yeah and she you know he's sitting at the table googling taylor and taylor motorcycle oh. i paused it so i could see what he was googling huh. so he googles taylor motorcycle and he's, you know, sitting there kind of furiously scrolling through photos on his phone. And she takes the box of beignets away and is, yeah. like, chatting with him, like, oh, I think you're really going to like these guys. I think you know one of them. You know, and brings the box back. Like, she didn't replate them or anything. She just brings the box back out to him. And she's like, here you go. And he's like, do you mind if I have one? She's like, yeah, eat as many as you want. And so he starts, like, you know, stuffing a beignet in his face while he's scrolling through and figuring out that Taylor the Marine that died in season one yeah. is connected to this family of tailors who are like all motocross stars, like all famous motocross yeah. people. So, <laughs> <laughs> but then it's not until he glances up and then I'm like, when did she put that card there? It obviously wasn't there when he sat down. Right. Did she somehow bring it up and like set it there when she brought the box of beignets out like i don't know it's very cool it's don't very, get me wrong it's like it reminded me of like noir movies you know what i mean like just like that really like melodramatic yeah kind of it also i'm just now realizing the irony of the fact that he gets not even irony probably that he gets poisoned by a donut <laughs> when he starts off <laughs> yeah. the season eating a donut yep yep yeah <laughs> I just now realized that. <laughs> well, also, too, he asks, what did you put in the sauce? And yeah. we have an episode called All the All Sauces. All the Sauces. <gasps> That's true. It was just, like, two episodes ago, right? All this the Sauces. This is a very, like, food-centered it season. Is. Yeah. Man, I remember that first season. Like, we had the babka and, like, a couple, you know, mm-hmm. subways, uh, submarine sandwiches. Yep. But like, we were like, oh, you couldn't really do, like, a themed. But by now, by season three, you could absolutely do a berry-themed dinner. Yeah, food everywhere. Yeah. Yep. I mean, it would domestic be like a domestic violence spaghetti, like <laughs> domestic violence spaghetti. <laughs> but donuts are like big in this season. They so are. we had him. He started off in episode one eating a donut. Yep. 
Sally got him a donut when she served him the domestic violence spaghetti. Yep. There's a little donut for the dessert. I'm not laughing at domestic <laughs> violence. I'm laughing at the spaghetti. <laughs> there was a donut, a picture of a donut in his creativity collage. And now there's beignets. There's like a whole episode where everyone's just nuts for beignets. Yeah. Like this, the donut is having a real moment it is. with the show. It really is. Okay, Gene in this episode, we see him briefly, his agent Tom comes to his house and, you know, basically says, like, they want to offer you a master class, it's going to be in people's homes and then the theater, and they're offering you 400000 but I think we can get them up. And, you know, Gene basically says, like, I'll do it under one condition. And, like, this is, Gene's still on his, like, <laughs> magnanimous kick, like, yep. he's just, like, trying to, like, win everybody's favor. I also wrote, this is the coziest bed I've ever seen. <laughs> like, I don't know if you noticed, but that bed Jean was laying in was like, I'm like, man, I, are those linen sheets? Like, <laughs> it looks I didn't super notice. I'm cozy. Go back and watch. His, he had like eight pillows on that bed and they were super fluffed. I was like, mm, I just want to crawl up in that bed. <laughs> <laughs> Jean goes to Annie's art class and is like, you know, you have to come direct this. And she's like, get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, we'll split it. And then he's like 80-20. And she's like, you're not serious. And he's like, take it all. And to me, it's like, you know, well, on the one hand, Barry did give him like a duffel bag full of money. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's not entirely about the money to him. And Gene strikes me as someone who like, even though he does clearly love money, yeah, it's really more about like the prestige for him. Yes. So yeah. I think... Truly, like, I think she could call him on his bluff here. I don't know if, like, she ends up taking all the money. They don't really, like, delineate that. But I think she could call him on his bluff here, and he's probably serious. Because it's more about him getting to do the show than it is about the money. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, walking away from this, you know, we don't know for sure if she's going to accept or not. But she seems definitely swayed by the fact that Jean did seem earnest. Yeah, like, is this a new man that's in front of me? Like, Mm -hmm. and that was what he was going for. And it's like this, speaking of redemption arcs, like, with, you know, Fuchs and his redemption opportunity that he totally blew. Mm -hmm. Like, he is, Kusino's trying to make the most of this second chance and do right by the people he wronged. And it almost seems like it's more (laughs) for dramatic purposes for him. Like, it's about the story, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, that's the vibe I get. It's less about being a good dude and more about... Wouldn't this be a great redemption arc if everybody that I had wronged, I found a way to make it up to them? I mean, we've talked about this in the past, specifically where, like, after Janice is deceased and Barry goes to visit Gene, and Gene's just, like, so dramatic, you know? He's, like, talking about, like, putting the gun in his mouth and, like... Monologuing. Yeah, and, like, I I do feel like these feelings Gene's having are earnest, are honest. Like, he is feeling that, but he cannot... It's so much a part of his being to, like, <laughs> yeah. put this dramatic veneer over everything that, like, yeah. <laughs> he just can't help it. He really can't. He can't help himself at all. <laughs> and, and like, considering the circumstances, he's making the most of, you yeah. know, the scenario. Yep. There's another more ethical possibility out there. Yeah. Has he chosen that? No. <laughs> well, but we know why. I mean, mm-hmm. Barry basically threatened his family. And yeah. now he's... Barry has backed off, and that's yep. got to be a huge relief. And I gotta say, if I was in that position, I don't know that I would poke the bear. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, clearly the cops to this 
point have not put things right. together enough to go after Barry for anything, even yeah. killing one of their own. Well, they even put him in jail, right, as a suspect for a little bit. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, I think I would just, like, count my blessings and move yeah. along. But Count your double bag of money. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about... So, we only have two very mm-hmm. brief scenes with Jean in this episode. And Jean sort of, for the last couple episodes ever since Barry kind of released him we're still kind of following Gene's story but like what do you think about that because he's not really Mm -hmm. having any interaction with Barry or Barry's storyline to this point yeah you know what made me think of is like when I was in in Boston I stayed with my sister-in-law and she studied philosophy Mm -hmm. and she was trying to teach me some philosophical thought exercise that I could not follow and honestly was not trying to follow I was like this doesn't make any sense to me and I don't want it to make sense to me so but like I mean her brain understands that stuff and mine doesn't but the premise of it was that like if something is ethical then everything that comes from that is ethical and if something is unethical then everything that comes from that is unethical and it made me think of Cousineau and like even though their stories aren't connected in this way anymore Mm -hmm. he's still like running on this second chance that Barry gave him and so like they're to me they're like interlinked indefinitely because the second chance he's he's on is so tied with barry Mm. and because he has this information about barry that he could choose to reveal like you said Mm -hmm. is it a smart choice to do it i don't know but like they're they can never be completely independent again yeah i've also been wondering too like if they're just sort of we're continuing on with gene because barry is going to intersect with him again yeah yeah like like, Barry truly has not released him. He's not t- entirely free of Barry. Right. So. Yeah. Because Sally, I mean, Sally's much the same. So Sally yeah. and Barry have broken up at this point. But mm-hmm. we're still following Sally, even though, well, to be fair, they do intersect in this episode. They do, yeah. <laughs> and, like, I, I feel like that's a really good point is, you know, most of the story has been told, it not from Barry's perspective, but in relation to and centered on him. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically an indicator to us as the audience that they're not done with Barry. Right. You're exactly right. Yeah. Because we've never followed another character just for the sake of following another character. No. And I think it's, to, again, to me, like, we talked about the thesis of the show being, like, violence is bad, basically. Like, they, it's, it's how his violence has, like, impacted their lives. Mm-hmm. And, um... Yeah, they'll never be they'll never be the same because they interacted with Barry. So I think it would be valid even if we followed them completely different directions in the future because their lives were changed by Barry in a bad way for the most part. But I think you're right. I think it's it's like in the contract of the show and mm-hmm. the language of the show, it means that they're not done yet. Well, speaking of Barry texts Sally. Yes. In this oh. episode. <laughs> oh, what a great scene. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. More specifically, he voiced to text her while he's wandering around what looks like a Ross dress for less. I don't know. <laughs> I, you know what? That's the vibe. I was like, is it Marshall's? I feel like Marshall's. Like, is like I was like, no, it's not nice enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not nice enough to be Marshall's. Oh, my God. Yeah, that... It's just so genius. Like, yeah. my husband was walking through the room and he literally stopped and watched it. 
because it was just like very like you know doing that very truncated like you're clearly enunciating every word and like the punctuation and people are like stopping to look at him like at one point there's like five people in the store looking at him and especially like when he says like you know and offer to take pictures of her while she's sleeping and some woman is just like what like it's so fucking funny and like to me it's so genius too because like it's important as a character moment because while he is being self-aware he is being completely non-self-aware yes you know what i mean yeah yeah he knows enough to be like wow i definitely creeped sally out and i do want to apologize for that but he's just putting it out there (laughs) and then the genius part of having it transition from him him voice to text to sally reading it (laughs) genius so smart and so efficient Uh, it's so good and i love how it just like descends into gibberish he's like this is nice this is only 40 dollars (laughs) sir you're being too loud like (laughs) oh sorry (laughs) like so great it's so fucking funny yeah also i want to this is the same store like this vibe i guess the same store that kusuno went to to get his luggage right Oh, I don't when know. When you go to town? I don't know. Because that also had, like, like a, a shitty discount store vibe. Yeah, that for sure did. By the way, I'm all for discounts. Like, I'm not saying, but, like, yeah. it, it's, this place is bleak. Yes, it definitely was. Like, you know, that very, like, 80s yes. white industrial tile, everything's dirty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good time. But, like, <laughs> and to me, too, like, Sally reading that text out loud to Lindsay mm-hmm. And Lindsay being like, woof, he dodged a bullet. And, and Sally, there's, like, no... She has zero regrets about ending this. Yeah. Like, she's not, like, wistfully thinking of Barry. No. She's just like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Woof. So, good for her. <laughs> I mean, truly, Sally has moved on. It reminds me of... Okay, so in season one, where Barry walks her, Sally, back to her place. Yeah. And she's shocked that he doesn't, it, like, invite himself in. Want to come in. Yeah. yeah. Come in. And it's like he's playing nice guy based on a script that he's been given. You know what I mean? Like, this is what nice guys act like. And he is not a kind man, we know, but he's acting, he's performing niceness. And like in the scene, he's performing self-awareness and he has absolutely none. Because the problem isn't just that he said those things to her. It's like he, I don't know, like... I think it's okay to dump it on everybody else around you, you know? I also do feel like if she called him up after that and was like, actually, can you break into her house and take pictures of her sleeping? He'd be like, yeah, sure. Yes, there's no <laughs> character change happening there. No, he understands that he shocked and appalled her. Yes. And so he's apologizing for, like, you know, because he knows that's the thing you're supposed to do. Yes. But if she just got back to him and was like, no, can you do that? He'd be like, yep. Yeah, sure. No questions asked. Text me the address, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Literally, yep. Also, too, when Sharon calls him to ask him about the dinner, he's, like, so overeager about Mm -hmm. that, like, to almost a weird degree to me. Like, Barry is not... He seems like a person that's a little hard to pull social interaction out of. Yep. You know, I'm thinking back to, like, season one and, like, Natalie's party scenario and how awkward that was and, like, how he ended up bringing Chris and Taylor because, like that was the kind of socialization he was used to so for him to like maybe he jumped at this because it was people that you know are part of that culture like maybe he (laughs) he says in his text message i'm going back into my past to go into the future (laughs) 
I'm like, Back to the Future. <laughs> I loved that. <laughs> That's so good. But he just really was like so like genuinely excited he's to... so star for connection still and yeah like... and that's why he accidentally blurts out i love you yeah <laughs> oh i don't know why i said that i'm good i just went through a really bad breakup like <laughs> it's those moments too where like he endears you to him yeah. even though you know he's a terrible guy and you know everything yeah. he's done but like yeah he's so pathetic yeah he's super pathetic He's living in this disgusting, like, spare room yep. slash recording studio <laughs> slash whatever. Yeah. It's just... It, it also, like, his him staying connected with Sharon and, you know, Chris's family, I think, lets him tell himself he's a good guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Even though, you know, he murdered yeah. her husband. Right. And, and it's so twisted. Like, the way that he looks at things is so twisted. Okay, so I think the last big thing we need to talk about in this episode is the motorcycle chase scene. Oh, geez. Yeah, or a.k.a. the Taylor chase. <laughs> Which, okay, to me, I feel like that came out of nowhere. How did how did it land with you? So, you know, we, I've seen this season before. Yeah. And I, as soon as I saw what episode this was going to be, because it starts off with Fuchs talking to the Taylors, and I was like, oh yep. my god, this is the episode. I actually remember, I thought it was much more of the episode. Yeah. But it's not until almost, like, minute 21 yep. that this actually happens. And this is, a, this episode's on the shorter side. I think this was 29 minutes. So yeah. they really packed a lot into the, the time frame. So, yeah, I mean, oh, okay, let's back up a little bit. So, Fuchs sets the tailors after Barry. We cut to Barry's apartment, and we, we're seeing Nick and Jermaine in their <laughs> ad hoc recording studio recording some terrible story or something with sound effects. I don't know. And we see the one of the tailors come in, and, you know, he's in Barry's room. I'm using air quotes because <laughs> it's, like, kind of a catch-all room. And we see him, like, pick up the note where he clearly wrote down Sharon's address and information. Mm -hmm. But we're getting more of that window action. Yep. So, again, we get another shot. They really love doing these where, you know, we're seeing action through a window yeah. that the characters in the foreground are not aware of. Yep. I really love that. It's um, so funny. Yeah. They, they've done it at least once a season, right? Yes, at least. At least, yeah. So then he goes back out of the room with the information, and we see that the rest of the tailors are there kind of rifling through everything, trying to figure out. And he hands the note to Tracy, who's the sister, and she goes, what's beg nets by Mitch? <laughs> <laughs> so that's how they know where to go to see where Barry is. Oh. And so once they kind of get there and they catch up with him... We get that hilarious scene where they pull up alongside his car and have a whole conversation. <laughs> but like, up to him. Is this is the guy? guy? And she's like, yeah, that's the guy. What should we do? Shoot him? And then you can see Barry, as soon as she's like, you know, that's the guy, Goulet. And you can see his eyes kind of get wide when he hears yeah. Goulet because he knows who that is. And they're like, what should we do? Shoot him? And he just floors it. <laughs> But, okay, so we start off, there's three of them surrounding the car. Yeah. He floors it, like, heads through the intersection, takes a sharp curve. Then there's a motorcycle in front of him. Yep. We see one of them get creamed in the rearview mirror yeah. behind him. So, again, we're still at, like, three, I think. Yeah. He 
hits the person on the bike who's shooting at him from the front, which, like, what kind of terrible shot are you? You're literally stationary. You're shooting at a car driving straight at you, and you can't hit him. And also, you don't move out of the way before he creams you. Yeah. It definitely seemed like this action sequence was, like, this is what happened when people who are not seasoned criminals try to pull some criminal shit. Yeah. So, Barry fucking crushes that dude like he goes through the windshield that was an amazing sequence yeah i i was like barry's impact with the pole was so realistic yeah like so realistic with the way he like just he literally feels like he's hitting the steering wheel like through forces like not of his own you know yeah it's not like on star trek when everyone like moves to the side when the, <laughs> ship's, the ship's supposed to like <laughs> You know, like, it really felt like he was uncontrollably hitting that steering wheel. Okay, so he creams that dude. And then we get this great, like, pause. Yeah. Where the scene just kind of breathes a bit. Like, Barry's able to take in that there's a guy through his windshield. He's, like, making eye contact with the mailman who's just, like, he just saw some (laughs) shit go down. I can't imagine what being a mailman in L.A. is like. Yeah, I feel like that's, like, not even your top ten worst day, you know? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, but I love that they just kind of, like, give us this, like, little bit of breathing room. And then we kind of cut to, like, Barry's, like, took his, took the bike, yep. which I guess is still in drivable condition even after being hit, K. And he's just, like, puttering around with his beignets. <laughs> he still has a box with him. <laughs> the bag yeah it's so great but i watched variety actually had a good youtube video on this it's part of a series they do called making a scene oh yeah and one of the the guys they talked to was basically saying like we're we're seeing things in this chase from barry's perspective Mm -hmm. which i thought i was like oh yeah that's so cool so a lot of the times we were seeing people like so barry you know like behind him sees just, like, figures in the distance, and then, like, a windshield blasts out. Yeah. So he's like, oh, shit, I gotta get out of here. So we're just kind of seeing them from a distance, like, shooting at him. There's only a few scenes where we actually kind of cut to what's happening with the Taylor Riders. Right. Which is really cool. Like, it's... It is. It's a, it's a very different way to approach a chase. And you know what's so interesting is I feel like it that falls in in line with their, like, ethos of not glamorizing the violence like there is a world in which that could be really cool and like full of amazing motocross stunts Mm -hmm. that you see up close and like it looks awesome but that's not what the show does no they're trying to keep it grounded in reality of like so bill was even saying like you know when you're in la like motorcycle riders will split the lanes like he's like it's terrifying (laughs) so like they'll just come straight up through traffic and split the lanes and like it's really scary Mm -hmm. and so that's kind of the basis of this chase on the 710 North is, you know, he's trying to get away from them. They're yeah. splitting the lanes. And then they've they've thought to position someone ahead. I'm not sure how they thought to do that, but they thought to position someone ahead who has a gun <laughs> and he pops up out of and just starts shooting. Like, so many people must have died right. in this scene. Like, he's just shooting at Barry indiscriminately as Barry speeds by, again, not hitting him somehow. And then he's like, hand off, and tries to hand the gun to another rider, who literally just, like, smacks it out of his hand. (laughs) 
it goes, hits the ground, goes off again. Probably another person died. And then he himself fucking eats it into a car. Yep. So, like, we're down another person. Like, it's just, you're right. Like, this is just, if, like, real people tried to do some stunt shit. Yeah. This is what would happen. Everyone just eats it constantly. And it's like, here's the thing. If they had completed, if this was John Wick, Mm -hmm. they could have completed that handoff. It would have been oh, for sure. awesome. Yeah, yeah, You know what I mean? Yep. The fact that Probably they... while doing a wheelie. Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> and the show was like, that's not what this is. No. You know? They're like, actually, you're going to smack the gun down. It's going to go off. You're going to face plant into a car. And for what? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, they're not even mad that he killed Taylor. They're mad about the... $1,700? Yeah, $1,700. Yeah. Yeah, I would just like to say, like, as someone whose brothers both race motocross and are fairly highly ranked, I feel like this is discrimination (laughs) (laughs) against motocross people. You're implying that they're all not very smart (laughs) and maybe just, like, motivated by low amounts of money. (laughs) And, like, he's, like, more offended at the idea that Barry didn't want him to have a hot tub than the fact that Barry fucking killed him. Yeah. You know, or caused his death. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. The end of this chase scene, so Barry's, like, getting away, and the, but he's clearly running out of gas, mm-hmm. which, like, I don't know why this guy didn't gas his bike up before they were going to go on this chase. Like, that guy would have ran <laughs> out of gas. Important. So, yeah. And Tracy's basically the only one still chasing him at this point. Like, everybody else has been, like, knocked out. And then they do this really cool scene where she basically drives up on top of this car dealership that Barry runs into after his motorcycle Mm -hmm. runs out of gas. And then, you know, we just get this, like, silhouette of her above, like, shooting down into the the lit-up car dealership, which is very cool. Yeah. And then, you know, she gets taken out, but, like, not even by Barry. Like, someone in the dealership, like, grabs a gun, like a shotgun, and... I never thought about that. They must be packing in dealerships. Right? So, yeah, he, like, blasts her a couple times with a shotgun, takes her out, and Barry just walks away. He gray-manned into the crowd and took off. Violence begets violence, you know what I mean? Like, all of these people have now died Mm -hmm. because, well, one, sprung from Barry's original font of violence, and two, because they chose violence, you know what I mean? Yeah. I know, that's the thing, like, now... All of these people are dead. Like, the Mm -hmm. entire Taylor clan's, like, dead. Yeah. Because they were like, we're going to take this guy out over $1,700. There's going to be, like, an up-and-coming family in the motocross dynasty that's like, (laughs) finally, they've been unseated. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Your brother's going to get a phone call. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But this whole this whole scene was just like amazing. So anyway, that variety clip, if you can watch it on YouTube, is really good. They talk about how they use like a mix of real cars and visual effects cars. Okay. So like that initial scene where he's sort of on like on ramping onto the seven ten north, like that's a mix of like real cars and visual effects, which is such a relief because I was like, Oh my god, those cars are so close to him. <laughs> like I was having a heart attack. And then they, he, Bill said they actually just got people to come out and, like, bring their cars out and leave them there. And they created a traffic jam for the huh. riders to split the lanes on. It was really cool. And then that car dealership was just, like, an abandoned car dealership they found and, like, zhuzhed it up and huh. made it real. 
So, yeah, it just it's very cool how they put it all together. I think Bill had said that the 710 shots themselves took, like, three days. Okay. So, which really isn't bad. It was, like, yeah, three, like, half days, sequence. basically. Yeah. It's just stunt after stunt after stunt. Yep. And, and the sequence itself, like you said, is not that long. It's not. I think in total it ended up being six minutes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, about six minutes, the whole thing. Like, literally from the time they pull up next to him at the light yeah. to, like, the time he gets to Sharon's. I love that um, you pointed out after the motocross guy slams into him and goes to his windshield, like, there's, like, a moment of, like, to breathe. And, again, like, part of the not glamorizing violence. And, and again, okay, so, like, I say not glamorizing violence. Like, there's a lot of violence in the show. Like, yeah. we, can't, we can't say that it's not glorifying violence in some way. But the violence isn't that cool. No. And, like, I, I keep doing, like, the John Wick test. Just, like, what would John Wick do in this scenario? <laughs> Is John Wick going to sit there and take a second to get his wits about him? No, because he's no. a fucking machine. Yeah. Like, he would be up and, like, you know, like, swinging two guns on his fingers and, like, just, <laughs> he would be doing something awesome. But it's so much about consequences, this episode. Mm-hmm. And, like, we have to sit in it a little bit to feel the consequences. I also think, too, like, you know, they take a beat and we look over at the guy who came through the windshield. Yep. And, like, we see that, like, that person is dead. Yeah. Like, you know... That person was alive just a minute ago, and now they are smashed into Barry's car. And then he looks at the mailman, and the mailman's just, like, shitting his pants over there. But, like, it just... These kind of things just sort of give you a sense of, like... I think it kind of takes you out of Barry's perspective to show you that, like, there are other people... Other people are witnessing this, or other people are involved in it. It's not just centered around what Barry wants and what Barry's doing yeah, and what's happening to Barry. Like, I don't yeah. know. It's really there's interesting. Collateral damage. Yeah. And like there's victims of his violence and there's collateral damage and it's all got to catch up with him sometime. Yeah. Yeah. And boy, does it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so it's, that's a whole great sequence. All right. Body count for this episode. I counted four. At least four Taylors. Yeah. I think there were supposed to be more, but those were all the ones that I actually saw get taken out. So we had the one get hit by a car in the rearview mirror. Number two went through Barry's windshield. Number three ate a car in the gun flip. And number four was Tracy getting gunned down on top of the car dealership. Mm -hmm. And I think there was more, but those were all the ones that we saw. Yeah. Random casualties in traffic there. Yep. And then Barry question mark yeah i mean obviously not (laughs) this show is called very but yeah yeah. but still it's pretty dire yeah do you have a most evil guy for this episode oh shit yeah you know i i gotta say fuchs again well but you know what here can i do a tie okay i tried to avoid ties to me i'm tied fuchs and barry and here's okay fuchs had a chance to fucking just marry Anita yeah. and live in the mountains. You still have a Starbucks 20 minutes away. Yeah. Like you're, you're, you know, or just over the mountain, whatever it was. Like, he could have had a decent life. And nobody gets that type of second chance twice. Yeah. And he did. And he just affirmed that this is not who I am. <laughs> the person I am is a petty piece of shit. Yeah. Who is choosing violence day in and day out. Yep. So there's that. And then Barry... 
it is some sick, twisted, messed up shit that he is going to see the widow of the guy he murdered to meet his own needs for connection. Mm-hmm. Like, how fucked up is that? Anyway, so they're tied. What about you? I mean, you bring up a really good point there. <laughs> I was actually just going to pick Morgan Don Cherry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, why? <laughs> because that character is really representative of a lot of nonsense that I think actually exists. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And while I love Vanessa Bear's turn on that, it was just like, yeah, I really think that there's a lot of people out there who can't even really like articulate what they're looking for or what they need or what they want but they're like "Mm, that's it or "Mm, that's not it like (laughs) and are just like making or breaking people's entire livelihoods based on like nothing quantifiable yeah feedback that you could not possibly action yeah exactly or understand half the time (laughs) yeah Yeah. that's a great point Uh, oh man So that wraps up this episode. Yes, and I will leave us with a quote from Barry. I found a new community with my marine friends. I'm going to try to move forward by going to the past like Marty McFly. LOL. Sir, you're talking too loud. (laughs) Shit, I'm sorry. Just be quacky. Shame Jonas Brothers. Haha, fresh. Sally, I understand if you do not want to talk to me again, I will five you spaceship brittle teeth in the sunshine. Barry. And scene. scene. Uh, we should like actually try to figure out what he's saying there at some point. Oh damn! Yeah. <laughs> oh, like I've been rewatching B99, and they actually like translated something by making Scully type it in because <laughs> his fingers were fat. <laughs> <laughs>